Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The One Man Show. I'm your host, Kay Salozzi. All right, everybody, how's everything going? Today is episode four. I am going to basically talk about stuff inward and work my way out. And what do I mean by that? I want to talk about issues that mean the most to me as our, my, our first few episodes. And so these next few episodes are actually going to be a series of what Islam is and what it's like to be a Muslim in the United States. But first, I want to run through a series of questions with a guest that I'm bringing in who is an expert in the field of Islam. I have knowledge of it, but this this gentleman, mashallah, is an amazing speaker. He has so much knowledge. I mean, just a all-round model citizen. Great father, great person. He's young, so he understands the contemporary issues and the culture that we live in here in the United States, but also has traveled and has uh, picked up a lot of wisdom and knowledge throughout the world that a lot of us can benefit from. Today, I'm going to put on my religious goggles. I'm going to put on these goggles to look at life through the lens of a religious person and what it means to be a Muslim. So I want to introduce Dr. Yusuf to the show. I am honored to have well, you. Thank you for having me. And now I would like to give the quote of the day. The quote of the day is Allah does not intend to make difficulty for you, but he intends to purify and complete his favor upon you that you may be grateful. And the reason why I picked this quote is because there is a lot of stuff that Muslims, we have to sacrifice that may be different than what here in America people do on a day to day basis. So really quick, I want to kind of just give a little background about our guest here. Mashallah, he's uh, lived in Corvallis. You live in Corvallis? Right, yeah. yeah. And uh, where did you go to high school? Crescent Valley High School. You did go to Crescent Valley, mashallah. You mentioned that you went to uh, theological religious studies also during that high school period? That's correct, yeah. Boarding school school in Sacramento. Where'd you get your bachelor's degree? So I got a bachelor's actually from Oregon State University. Okay. I got it in public health, health management policy here. Thereafter... And while studying, I was also a um, theological instructor, a lo- local theological instructor. I taught religious studies here in Corvallis, in Eugene, in Salem, in Portland, while trying to get my bachelor's here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of have experience also, not while you were going to school, you were teaching. That's very true. Yeah. yeah they yeah, say, you know, there's a lot of studies say that the best way to learn something is to teach it. That's right. And yeah. so, all right, that's awesome. Well, thank you. So continue. Tell me a little bit more. Did you go to grad school? Yeah, I did. I actually, I did. So what had happened was, uh, just to clarify, yeah. when it comes to religious studies, there are two routes of study, one of which is going to be your very progressive form, which we commonly know going through university studies, et cetera. But I spent spent quite a bit of my early life in traditional studies. Traditional studies is sitting, as we say, at the feet of scholars and studying their works and listening to their lectures and going through books together. And this is actually one of the pinnacles of how the monotheistic religions spread their knowledge because they hold value in the concept of authenticity. So because of that, I was also able to instruct. So while going to Oregon State University, I'm grateful to have received various licensings in traditional Islamic and or religious studies from various uh, structures. Thereafter, I did a two masters. I did a master's in graduate theological studies out in graduate theological foundation in Indiana. I also got a PhD in that as well. I also did a master's in the sciences of historical narratives. And I also uh, did a PhD in that uh, same exact field. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. So, uh, first off, I, I want to tell the listeners, we're going to be saying the word mashallah yeah. a lot. So, can you explain to us really quick what mashallah means? Yeah, sure. So, first and foremost, it's very important to know that the word Allah is a a universal term that's used in Arabic to give reference to a monotheistic God. Mm-hmm. So, if you go to Arab Christians, they also use the term Allah and or Allah in English. And if you go to the Judaic uh, tradition for which they speak also Arabic, because there are quite a bit of Jewish Arabs as well, when they use the term God in Arabic, they use the term Allah. So if you look to the Arabic Bible, it is full of the term Allah. If you look to the Quran, it's full of the term Allah. And if you look to the Torah and old traditional Judaic uh, narratives that are written in Arabic or spoken in Arabic, their term is also Allah. MashaAllah essentially means that all things happen by the grace of God. So success, uh, credentials, etc. We do our part. That's what the Almighty teaches us. But in the end, it's by 
the Almighty's permission, we receive such things. So we're giving our respects to the Almighty for such blessings. So when you say I went to such and such university and I say, mashallah, I'm paying my respects to God for giving you the strength to pursue exactly. that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So just to clarify that, we'll, we, we will be saying that quite often <laughs> throughout this episode. <laughs> yeah. And I just want you guys to understand. Also, yeah. we're going to be using the word hadith. That's right. And hadith, explain those hadith. Yes, sir. So hadith is a narrative. It is the... It is the spoken teachings and or actions and or mannerisms attributed authentically or not authentically to the Prophet Muhammad. All right. So it is his own canon. It is the second form of the canonization of uh, importance when it comes to Islamic religious studies. Oh, okay. Yeah. MashaAllah. So every time we say Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi explain to them what sallallahu alayhi wasallam, or peace be upon him, yeah. like why we say that. Yeah. So when we mention ambassadors of the Almighty, we understand that the role and representation of the Almighty is of great importance. So out of our appreciation to the Almighty and thereafter to them, we make supplications to God to send his blessings and mercy and compassion and greatness to all of these prophets and messengers of God. Some of which we know their names, such as Muhammad, mm -hmm. salam. Uh, in the Islamic theology, we hold the view that Jesus is a mighty messenger of God. Same thing, salam. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Daniel, etc. The list goes on. And we also understand in this perspective that pretty much in all civilizations throughout history, from East to West, there were representatives of God. Again, some we know their names, some we do not know their names. That's why in the Quran there is a narrative. It says, uh, uh, "It says, ummatun bilisani qawmihi." That uh, for every people and nation, there were people that came of their culture, spoke their language, were of the people. Some we know their names, some we don't know their names. You're the perfect person to come to. Well, I mean, with all, this, uh, all th with all this information and knowledge that you have, I, I, I respect that, and I'm, I'm grateful. Well, thank uh, you. That you came to the show thank so that we can talk to our listeners about Muslims in Islam. We're going we're to dive in a little bit on the history of it, like I said, but we're really going to start with just a series of questions. Okay, sure. These questions are questions that I've been asked a lot. Sure. Um, I also did some research and found some of the uh, some other questions that have been asked frequently. So please, if uh, if if you feel like you need to go into depth about uh, a, a specific question, feel free to do so, sure. and then we'll dive in on the history of of Muslims in America. Sure, sure I'd love to. So, uh, first question is: is what is the difference between the word Islam, Islamic, Muslim, and Arab? Okay, so Islam is a religion. Okay, Arab is an ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Islam means a person uh, chooses their approach to God in a monotheistic perspective. Okay. Monotheism is God is one and is unique. Time doesn't affect God. He's not constrained by time. He is not constrained by space. Mm -hmm. But the design is constrained by time and space. This is the essence of monotheism. Okay. Okay. With that in mind, Arab, as you know, is an ethnicity. Right. Most Muslims are non-Arab. Okay. okay. Yes. And most today, Muslims, today in, in today's world, we'll see approximately 2 billion Muslims in the world right yeah. now. Because one in four people are, are approximately one in four people are Muslim. Right. In the entire world. In the globe. In the entire world. Yes, sir. MashaAllah. And um, what's interesting is just about 30% uh, of them are Arab. Oh, wow. Yes, sir. And this is very important because sometimes we equate culturalism with religion. Wow. So we have a human race a human race that brings about culture. And then there is the religious identity, which are shared foundationally, but the means in which they live in in society vary across the globe. Okay. Yes, sir. So these are, these are two important aspects to bear in mind. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. So what are the foundational sources of Islamic beliefs and practices? Sure. So, in this perspective, the main core of the Islamic beliefs is based upon two elements. One of which is the Quran. Okay. What is the Quran? When we say this is the main core of Islamic belief and that it involves the Quran, we are talking about an element of revelation. As a result, the main core of Jesus' message in Islamic perspective was Islam, and that element of revelation was something known by the Injil, and which, for example, he taught and uh, preached and called for. 
So at the time of Jesus, you're saying that he had a book called the Injil. That's very much so. And which is different from the modern day Bible or? Yeah. So the Injil is a revelation to Jesus. Is that what, is that what Jesus himself called it? Yes, sir. This is the Islamic perspective. Okay. Okay. And of course we use the term Injil in Arabic. Mm. Yeah. But the term is essentially alluding to the element of uh, uh, scriptural narratives inspired by God. With that in mind, when we talk about uh, the Bible in connection to the Islamic perspective, it consists of things from the Injil. Okay. Okay. When we say today in our hands, it consists of things within it that are true and from the Injil. The modern day Bible. The modern day Bible for which we hold in our hands. Okay. Okay. As a result, what you find in some of the earliest Quranic exegesis, exegesis means explanation. Mm. You find that uh, Ibn Jarir al-Tabri, for example, a second century Islamic theologian, in his mm, profound work, you find narratives from people attributing themselves to the Christian perspective and Jewish perspective. Because again, in Islamic perspective, the present day Bible consists within it of the Injil, but it also consists with it other things that are not necessarily from the Injil. And we can go into depth about this. Yeah. And we always show respect to uh, people of other faiths. Right. This is what our religion teaches. But again, so there is truth in it. There are things that maybe Muslims will hold uh, is not necessarily correct. But there are also a third categorization, which is additional information. It doesn't reject something, but it doesn't necessarily affirm something uh, 100% entirely. So this is something just to bear in mind. So when okay. we say the Quran, what we want to what we want to get into the observation as the foundational tool for religious perspective in Islam, and of course, what what is being meant here are two different things. For Muslims, when we say Islam, we're talking about the religion of all ambassadors, messengers of God. Mm-hmm. Like Muhammad didn't bring something new. Okay. This is our perspective. We don't worship Muhammad, right? We respect him and we respect the aspect that he was supported by the Almighty and brought and and reestablished what was already talked about. Uh And what was already talked about was Islam. This Mm. is what Muslims hold as value. So the Injil is considered a form of the Quran. The Torah is considered a form of the Quran. David's uh, uh, psalm, the psalm of of David, etc. is considered a form of the Quran. So an element that is inspired and recited for people to benefit from the Almighty. Then there's the second form, okay? So first form was a form of inspiration. The second form is essentially as a core is the fitrah. Okay. So fitrah is the natural disposition of the human being to recognize indeed there is a God. Okay. Yes, this is not as fitrah, the natural disposition of a human being. In this natural disposition, uh, we hold the view that the Almighty installed within the souls of the human race an encryption to, re- to have an inclination towards God. This is the theological perspective. The scientific perspective actually argues that as well. And there are a number of scientific references in connection to that. They hold the view that actually what is normative in the human race is to incline towards the concept that indeed there is a God. And if you were to take humans and just place them on the on an island without any support of uh, angelic inspiration, mm-hmm. etc., they will come to the conclusion that things came from a design. And there are a number of scientific observations you can refer back to. For example, the God Spot. This is a psychological study about this discussion: if humans were encrypted to believe in God, or is it something that they are learned, nature versus nurture? So you're saying if we dropped five babies, yeah. And somehow we're able to take care of themselves yes, sir. with no knowledge of their parents. We don't teach them anything. Yes, sir. They will come to the conclusion at one point when they get older yes. that there's a God. This is the argument this that is the argument. Uh, okay. large research studies are, are holding and hold as a view. There's a Quranic narrative that says, the natural disposition the Almighty has placed in the human race. Don't change that. That's what it says. Mm. Don't change that. Don't try to alter that. Allow it to be and uh, allow it to exist within the souls. This is known as causation. In this argumentation, if you were to take people and just put them on an island without any angelic inspiration, etc., they will lead to the conclusion that indeed there is a God. This is known as causation. That is, for example, like Fakhreddin al-Razi, a uh, approximate uh, 7th century Islamic scholar, he argues in his works, he says that if you take a child and you, and you throw a stone towards the child, 
without them seeing you throw the stone, the child will look not necessarily just at the stone. It will look to where the stone came from. Mm. That's the known as causation. So these people that are on this island, they look around, they see what's around, they've seen the stone thrown. Mm -hmm. Now they start to think, how did it get here? Wow. And that's the Quranic narrative. The Quran says, Am Am For humans to think about. Did we, um, were we created from no knowledge, uh, no uh, wisdom behind it, um, without a intent? Did it happen by chance? Or did we create ourselves? Did we design ourselves? Or did everything just come uh, by random, etc.? This is an argumentation that's found in the Quran for humans to think about. And the idea is probability. What is more probable? That there is a wisdom behind the design, meaning an intent, that this purposely happened, or we designed it ourselves, obviously it's not true, or it happened by chance. You see, by and when we say chance, we mean random chance. Mm -hmm. And if you go into the calculations mathematically of this, and it's less than zero, zero point, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very interesting, well, mashallah. Um, so speaking of God himself, so a lot of people have come to me, and, and some of the this, this topics that you touched just now, um, I will be like theory of evolution. Uh, we're going to talk about that here pretty soon, but I kind of categorize these as like most asked. But I get this question a lot from people who are kind of like, hey, you know, I know there's like a supreme being, but, and mainly sometimes atheists come up with this question yeah. to me and they say, you know, if, if there is a God, okay, and he's supposed to be, the, you know, almighty and, and, and everything, then why do some people suffer so much in this life, especially innocent people, mm -hmm. such as children, women, uh, sick people, old, old people, when God could simply let them not suffer? Sure. So, so why is that? Okay. So before I address this, yeah. uh, like Socrates, mm -hmm. he lived approximately 300 years before Jesus. Okay. He's a famous philosopher we know. He argues that there is a God. Okay. And um, the aspect of Greek philosophy stems upon the argument that human disposition, disposition and mind and its intellect are essentially the utmost level of, of greatness. Mm. Okay. So he argues that through natural disposition and logical conclusions, you can conclude a God exists. Okay. Okay. So this is what Socrates argues. And all of these great philosophers, they hold that view. So the vast majority of great scholars through history, like Charles Darwin even says in his book, believed that there was a God. Mm. Okay. So this is fact. Okay, now we go back to the question. So even people that are not Muslim, even non -Muslim. have come to the conclusion, great philosophers, that a God does exist. Yes. A grand engineer. Yes. Throughout history, most human beings, through science and historical narrative and observation, believe that God existed. Okay. And the greatest minds, if not the greatest, believe that God existed. Mm. And they rationalize that conclusion, some of which is Socrates and Plato, etc. these great philosoph Western philosophers. Okay. Okay. So with that in mind, we go back to our discussion here about uh, negativities that exist in life. Or like, you know, uh, suffering. Uh, suffering, for example. Mainly, yeah. 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 Suffering of, innocent people, of innocent children, people, children, women. Because if we look throughout history of time, yes. most people that have suffered yes. have been children and women. Sure. Would you agree? Uh, it's, it's debatable. Like in a statistical sense, it's debatable. Okay. Suffering exists. This right. is what we know. Okay. Okay. So what is it that we want to we discuss here? Let's look at this, uh, this question by two perspectives. Okay. If this isn't a question that is proposed by atheists, mm -hmm. let's look at it from their own perspective. Okay. okay. Life happened, let's say it happened by chance. Right. Okay. Meaning when we say chance, we mean without intent. Right, right. right? No without engineer. No engineer. It happened by uh, by chance or accident, et cetera, and it came together and, and over hundreds of thousands of millions of years, we now exist together. Right. People like to call that nature, correct? Okay. In this perspective, nature is the reason evil exists. Okay, so they will argue that nature is a reason evil exists. So evil does exist. In nature. In nature, in this perspective that there isn't a God. Okay. Okay, so instead of God having this thing exist, it's nature who has caused evil to exist, suffering, etc. Because the design is itself is a from nature by chance. So the, the causation for it is nature. Okay. Okay. And this is coming from an atheist An standpoint. atheistic perspective. Okay. Okay. In nature, you have beings and people that exist. And in nature, you have 
sickness, you have all these things that exist. One thing is certain, it exists and it affects people. This is part of nature. Okay. Okay. If we die in this perspective, nothing happens. Right. Right. If we, in, in life, in this perspective, the one who is being harmed by something, hey, that's your deck of the cards. Right. All right. Hey, that's you. That's, that's what the, happened. That's, that's what chance what that's gave what, you. Yeah, that's what nature gave you. You accept it. You're ugly. You accept that. Right. Okay. It, you live this life for 30 years, go through your suffering, and then afterwards, nothing else will happen to you. Right. Right. So afterwards, nothing else will happen to you from this perspective. Mm-hmm. And in this perspective, you can choose to help people. It's up to you. You can help people if you'd like. Right. Or you can choose not to help people. When you're alone, you can do the right thing or you can choose not to do the right thing. What is interesting is John Locke. Mm. um, He is arguably the head of the freedom of religion choice in the States, for which Thomas Jefferson was mostly um, influenced by. He argues that basically an atheist, you can barely trust an atheist. Okay. Why is because in this perspective, they are not, um, they are free to choose what they like. There's no repercussions when it comes to the spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think is important to recognize in the atheistic perspective, which is important, is that, which is the main bridge between the two, is that their perspective of God is so great, they don't realize it. Mm. But their argument is arguing that their perspective of God is so great that how can this such great God who is merciful and compassionate allow for these things to exist? Mm. Do you see? So actually they have a greater observation of what it is to mean God than actually people that are uh, theists, people who believe in some form of God. I've always, I've always debated with atheists that at some point you had to believe in a God to believe he doesn't exist. Yeah. Do you agree? I would say that that is a very plausible thing. I, I mean, somebody somewhere has to say, I'm atheist. Yeah. So they have to say, Come to the conclusion. Yeah, they have to say, they have to believe, at least even for a split second, yeah. say, I believed in a God, now I choose that there is no God. Yeah. And that kind of comes stems from what you said about how we all come to the conclusion that yeah. there is yeah. a grand a grand engineer. A grand engineer. C- continue. Yeah, so in this perspective, we ask, okay, now that's life in, in a summary. Mm. for what is evil out there. So when someone does an evil thing, hey man, that's your deck of the cards. The responsibility is upon the one who did the evil. Okay? You're evil. You've done evil. The person that is oppressed, the women, children, some of the people you talked about. They suffer. Hey, yeah. yeah, hey, that's life, man. It's nature. You, can go, you can go to the um, zoological studies and look what animal kingdom does to another. Hey, that's life. Okay? And now you're suffering... That's it for you. You're going to die and then there's nothing else for you. Okay. Now, when it comes to Islamic theology, let's look at their perspective. Okay. Okay. There is nature. Okay? We're looking at it now as if there is a God. Yeah. As if there is a God. Okay. A designer. Okay. There is nature. The human in nature, there is a free will. Okay. But nature is permitted to exist by God's permission and mm. will. Free will to make the right choice is permitted to exist by God's permission. He designed it that way. He designed He permitted it to exist in such a fashion. The Quranic narrative says, Whoever wants to choose a life of uprightness, choose it. Okay, choose that life. And it also says, It also says, for example, those of you who choose to uh, turn away and live a life of corruption, as a result, you have turned yourself away and now are pushed away. Mm. Okay. So free will exists. In this free will, in nature, there is happy times and there are difficult times, right? This is part of nature. But God still exists. So in Islamic theology, God still exists and he sees and he hears. And yes, he is compassionate. And yes, he is merciful. And he knows what the hardships people are going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the Quranic narratives is, uh, 
the Almighty doesn't oppress anyone. Look at that. And actually says, um, People oppress themselves. Okay. People cause corruption in themselves. In Islamic theology, we don't attribute negativity to God. We so, only, yeah, go, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. Finish. Yeah. We only attribute goodness and purity to God. So people have argued that if God is the creator of all, yeah. then how is it that, and, and, and obviously I have my own beliefs, but yeah. this is what I'm hearing. I'm trying to come at it in a neutral way. Yeah, so, sure, sure. so understand that. So how is it that he's the one who gives everything and everyone permission yeah. to exist if he's the creator of all and basically create evil? Yeah. I've told people yeah. that it is the free will of people to choose right and wrong. And some people end up choosing wrong. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people suffer from it. Yeah. Would you agree? Let me build off of that, if okay. you don't mind, sir. Yeah, go ahead. So as we were we were talking about here. Okay, so uh, this Quranic narrative saying that God doesn't oppress anyone, but it is people who oppress themselves, do yeah. wrong to themselves, etc. And that uh, large corruption has become publicized and affecting many for that which people have chosen to do. Okay, so what is it that we're finding here now is something very interesting. Now we go back to the, the perspectives we're talking about here. One blames it on nature. Okay, the other uh, accepts the reality that nature does have these things that exist. Mm -hmm. One perspective holds the view that these negativities a child goes through, etc., is their deck of cards. There's nothing for them. There's no support in the, in the spiritual realm. And if they pass away, that's their deck of cards. And they live the life of uh, a sucky life. And that's it for them. So you're saying that the innocent died or innocent, suffered. Yeah, all and of these things, yes. That's it. Yeah, there's no repercussions. There's nothing for the choices you made, etc. The second perspective says, no, there's something a little bit more intimate. Okay. Children that are affected by hardships in a world that does have negativity are cared for and compassionate uh, tremendously by the Almighty. How so? That a child, in Islamic philosophy, they hold the view that all children go to paradise. Okay. Okay. You can, your parents can be Christian, they can be Jew, they can be Hindu, they can be Zoroastrian, they can be Buddhist, they can be atheists. All children go to paradise. If they pass away as children, is as what you're saying? As they pass as children. Okay. Okay, the hardships they get, the things their parents teach them, etc., as children, it's not held against them because mm -hmm. the Almighty in this perspective is just. He's a just God, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they go to paradise, okay? In their hardships, the Almighty is supportive of them. Now that's the unique thing. Now how so? That's the question here. Uh, moralistically, the angelic realm of uh, positivity towards them, the idea of them being able to overcome things though it's been very hard, Okay. This same narrative is also true, for example, if we say all children in Islamic philosophy holds a view, they go to paradise. In Islamic, in this perspective of theism, a person who is harmed by another person yeah. still has respects with the Almighty and that actually in that state, their prayers and supplications are even closer to God. So you're saying that, let's say we're talking about kids in Kenya yeah. that are suffering from famine right now. Yeah. You're saying God's looking after them? We're saying that the Almighty is aware of their circumstance. Okay. Um, because these hardships are happening to them, it doesn't mean the Almighty is pleased with it. Let me clarify something here. Okay. Islamic uh, theology says that there are two wills of the Almighty. There is a universal will. Things exist in this universal will nature. Mm -hmm. There are things that occur the Almighty is not pleased with. And okay. If, yeah, it's not happy with. Right. We, we use terms like happy and pleased, huh. but in Islamic theology, it says it says Laysa There's nothing like onto God. Okay. Language is trying to give us an understanding of how he's feeling. Of how he's feeling. So God doesn't just speak Arabic. Right, right, right. He doesn't just understand Arabic. He doesn't just understand English. There's something much more intimate. Okay. So the prophetic tradition teaches, and it says that uh, the Almighty doesn't look to the way you look, your outward appearance, how tall you are, what color skin you have, but He looks to your heart, your spiritual inclination, your intent, and actions that are based upon this spiritual inclination that you make in life. Mm. Okay. So I was going to say, God, He understands all the languages, but He really reads your intent. Exactly. What your intention is, yes. it's a universal language. Exactly. What your intent is, it's a universal language. What you're going through is between you and the Almighty. Mm -hmm. In this will concept, that nature, 
right? And then in the design of nature, it happened by chance or it by happened by God. These negativities that exist doesn't please the Almighty, but there's a responsibility and system in life that it is upon people that have been given strength and ability to intervene and help these people, mm. for example. Okay? So in this perspective, uh, if we equate the two, these hardships these kids are going through in the side of the Almighty, eventually they have happiness that nullifies any experiences of negativity in this life. Okay. In this perspective, people that do wrong to them are accountable. So Hitler is accountable. Mm. With the Almighty, Hitler is accountable. Because Hitler, uh, let's say he has one pers- a belief in God. I don't want to say saying his belief. Uh, people don't know this, but he actually came from a particular belief system. Mm. And out of respect for people, that people that studied Hitler's history, I don't want to mention it. Okay. Uh, with that in mind, in this perspective, everything he does, because of his belief, does that mean he's forgiven? Of course not. Islamic right. theology will say it doesn't. That's not the case. Right. There's a just element in life. Sooner or later, justice will prevail. Okay, and sooner or later, everyone will be equated fairly. Whether in this life or the next. Whether in this life or the next. So the question really goes back to you, how do you want to live your life? Mm-hmm. First, Islam is teaching you don't blame anything on God. Okay, life, life in, in of its essence has difficulty. But through difficulty, a greater good occurs. How so? Sometimes we understand, sometimes we don't. Fires, they destroy quite a bit of large acres of forestry. But people don't know, it actually re-gives life to the soil. Mm. And it gives it a better opportunity to regrow. And the argument is in this light, that if you never felt negativity or saw negativity, you wouldn't know what positivity is. Okay? If you never were sick, how would you know what health is? Mm. That's the poet, poem. Which means? Which means that... Through the element of controversies, yeah, things become clear. Mm. Uh, so you know, health and sickness. We don't say controversy. I mean uh, relationships. Okay, extreme uh, extreme uh, differences between two. Health and sickness. If you're always healthy, you wouldn't know what sickness is. And if you're always sick, you never know what health is. If you never know what health is, the argument is how can you actually be grateful? Mm. And if you never know what sickness is, how can you actually know what health is? And in the state of sickness, how can you actually feel the aspect of appreciation for things that you actually were given, but in this case, or and or happened to you, but you never actually thought about it being a bounty to your life. So these are all things that it is held that for, if you equate the two, uh, I think any human being would, would argue it is a happier world for the soul and spirit if you have a theistic perspective about the negativities of life versus a atheistic perspective. Yeah. That is very beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's very beautiful. So the next question is um, about the prophets. Okay, so how does the stories of the prophets in Islam compare with those in Christianity and Judaism? Okay, so the brief response is that there are similarities, but there are differences. Okay, similarities do exist, such as some of the personas, Adam, Eve, right, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and we have Muhammad uh, The differences will be in some of the secondary elements. How so? To be frank. So for example, um, some, of, some of the, mm, we might say mistakes, some prophets of God or messengers of God are attributed to have done in some of these texts, Islam doesn't agree with. So you find that some of the prophets, messengers drank alcohol and they, they uh, passed out this yeah. is in the Bible uh, yeah. or in the, in the Torah? Uh, in, in both, yeah, depending okay. on what you mean by both, yeah. So that's why I, we're trying to show as much respect as possible. This is what our religion teaches us. And so as a result, you have, for example, narratives of prophets and or messengers of God having drank alcohol and passed out and or fornicated with a family member, um, great atrocities, committed murder, among other things. In Islamic theology, they hold the view that messengers and prophets of God do not make major mistakes like that. Okay. It, they hold the view that these are actually the elite leaders and representatives, and they were chosen for it because they're unique and supported because they are unique. The prophets themselves. The prophets themselves. So as a result, in their choice, they have a characteristic and mannerism that is unique in spirituality. And in this, in this regard, again, these major faults that are found in some of the previous texts prior to Quran, 
Islamic teachings, Quranic teachings, you don't find in the Quran. Mm. Um, so you have that example. You have other examples in some of the narratives like uh, the flood. Did it uh, compound all of the earth? Uh, arguably in the Quran, it doesn't say that. It says there was a flood and it is it is connected to Noah, but it doesn't say it compounded all the earth, entire earth, etc. In uh, the Quran. In the Quran, yes, uh -huh. correct. Yeah. You have, for example, as well, the uh, narrative of Abraham and the angels who came to visit him. Um, the Quranic narrative is that Abraham had these visitors come and he made food for them to come sit and eat. But these angelic beings didn't eat with him, saying that we are not of this realm to eat this type of food. In the uh, other texts, you find that they actually ate from the food. So there are similarities that exist. There are differences that exist. You said like, so in, uh, when you mean other texts, you mean other than the Quran? Yeah, other okay. than the Quran. So I, I, and essentially I'm alluding to uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament, etc. Okay. Some of the elements that so are So what you're saying there. is, in general, is that they're similar, but the Quran kind of clarifies what was written, or do they, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I'd, I'd say the Quran, they are similar. Okay. And the Quran shares these entities mm -hmm. with. There are uh, similarities in the narratives and stories. Okay. There are differences. Mm -hmm. And then there are additional information. Okay, like details. Yeah, some of the details. Okay. And that you don't have to reject. It's information, additional information you can look to, and it gives you an additional understanding or perspective about a certain thing. So, for example, I had talked about differences, mm -hmm. just with the flood, the idea of the flood, and the concept of how prophets, messengers of God act, uh, the angels that came to eat, and there are a number of other examples as well. Um, similarities are entities and actions that existed. Um, in the book of Luke, for example, in the New Testament, you find that angel Gabriel came to visit Mary. That's also shared in the Quran, in the chapter of Mary. Mm. Uh, you also have, for example, the idea of uh, Adam and Eve and the concept of the original sin. But uh, the narrative is different in certain things. So, for example, in the narrative that it was Eve that... Um, was first to really incline towards this satanic being, and she was the first one to um, uh, trick Adam into eating. The Quran doesn't say that. It says they both did it. Mm. Okay, there isn't a blame. Okay? Also, what's interesting is actually the Quran actually mentions Adam a little bit more than Eve in this context, because the Islamic theology has, it, it tries to preserve the dignity of the female mm -hmm. as much as possible. Okay? And this is something very important to recognize. It's not a disrespect. Right. It's actually trying to preserve its dignity because in that society, especially that society prior to the Prophet Muhammad, uh, there was lots of uh, prostitution, illicit acts with women, transgression against women. Prophet Muhammad Sallam, came, such as, you know, burying women, girls alive, etc. Yeah. Prophet Muhammad came and he nullified all these things. So right. you can see. Well, hold on, hold difference. on. Yes, you, you, you touched on something that the listeners probably are like, wait, what did you just say? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so let's, let's put it in reverse. Let's put it in reverse. And you said, oh, what about burying babies? I mean, I know yeah, the story, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. I need you clarify. to clarify so, yeah, that. We, we have to understand the context in which the Prophet Muhammad lived. Okay. And this is. Uh, what year did he live? Uh, yeah, there's some argument. There. So he's born 570 AD. Okay. Okay. He was born and he lived for approximately 63 years. So okay. if you put 570 plus 63, as you can see, you get, uh, you get your numbers. So with that in mind, uh, this is in the AD calendar. With that in mind, what happens is in this Arabian Peninsula, uh, prior to the Prophet Muhammad, during his time, before his advent as mm. a messenger and claim of God. Okay. There were girls, girls were disrespected, we would say. In, especially in that culture. Mm -hmm. um, it was a, a shame that a person had a girl. Uh, you find people burying their girls alive. Oh. You know, It's super sad to say that, it unfortunately. And, uh, but so he came and- He and came and he nullified all that. He canceled all that and he called uh, that all of that is a disgrace. And so he altered the society, which was in actually tremendous despair and, and, and wrongdoing. Uh, a society of war, among other things as well. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for clarifying So we, that. we're talking about the similarities between yeah. the text. So there are similarities, there are differences, and there are additional information that is interesting for perspective. So if they're so similar, what makes one right over the other? How can somebody read the, the all three texts and know which one's the right one? Yeah, so that's a good question. Okay, so in the Islamic perspective, they hold the view that the Quran came to reestablish truth, okay, and reestablish what was taught beforehand. And as a result, you find so many things that are similar. Okay. Okay. 
There are also differences, as we said. We can go into great depths and maybe some other time we can have a particular uh, session that is just right. about tech. We can bring the references and everything will be straightforward in okay. these, these matters. And then, like we said, the third category is additional information. Mm. I'd say all three are trying to argue the same things. Have you read all three? I have, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have in English and Arabic. And, oh, and some Greek, some, some Hebrew. Alhamdulillah. Because I find um, my, my faith increases when I read. I've memorized the Quran, alhamdulillah. I have Mashallah. certifications memorization. But I also have and love to study the New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, Christian theology, Jewish theology, etc., and I feel like my faith grows while doing so. I find it super interesting. I think people don't realize some of the things that are shared by the two. I also think that there are things that people don't know exist in differences. Okay. And then the third category, which is additional information. Okay. With that in mind, now a person, how do you find out what is true? First, we want to understand that they're both arguing the same things without getting into secondary details. Okay. That, the, main prim, uh, the main primary argument is the concept of God. Mm-hmm. A God exists, monotheism, one God. And life, you make choices, there's a day you meet the Almighty, known as Qiyamah or Day of Judgment, etc. They, they're all arguing this. They all argue there's paradise. They all argue there's a concept known as hellfire. There's a meeting with God. Uh, there's a concept of revelation, okay? Lots of terminologies are shared in mm-hmm. Arabic and in English, etc. Okay. With that in mind, what happens afterwards is you start to look into what is meant by monotheism by, by all three perspectives. Okay. So for example, you have these three groups. There is a discussion of monotheism, one God. What, is, what are his names and attributes, etc.? They all agree that the Almighty is unique and time doesn't, uh, he's, not, he's not subordinate to time and space, but those things are subordinate to him. There's nothing like Antum, we're just using language. With that in mind, you also have the element of, in this discussion as to what is meant by God, some of the categorizations and discussions we find nowadays as to who is Jesus, for example. So you have a perspective that holds the view that Jesus, for example, is God incarnate or Mm. the Son of God, for example. Uh, One group, uh, a, a very popular view of one group in the Jewish tradition is that Jesus is obviously is not God or the son of God, etc. That's also shared by Islamic theology. Mm-hmm. But uh, in that very popular perspective of the Jewish tradition is that Jesus himself, is he a messenger of God or not? And that's a debate for them. Mm. For Muslims, they hold the view that he's a mighty messenger of God. Right. He's no different than Moses and yeah, Abraham. Yeah. He's and, very unique. And yeah. we have to understand something. And this is one of the things I think people make the mistake of. I was once invited to have a, a, a uh, open platform discussion with two other prestigious educators from the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition about who Jesus was. And we were invited and there was a crowd and there were questions one thing I notice is when, when I discuss uh, representing Islam, that when we say a prophet or messenger of God, we actually mean the best human being there is. Okay? A class of the best of human beings that there are. Our understanding of what prophet and messenger of God is, I would argue, is, very, is, is different than some commoners understand what a prophet and messenger of God is in Christian theology. Mm. Okay, so in some Christian theologies, there are prophet and me- prophets exist between us. Like a guy here in OSU, there are prophets of God, etc. And they base it upon certain textual understandings. Okay, um, we won't get into necessarily the details of that at this time. Okay, so what I understood, and I have constantly have to re-clarify this. When we say prophet messenger of God, we don't mean any disrespect to mm. Jesus. We're glorifying him to the highest level of glorification that doesn't reach a level of worship of God. Right. Okay. So that means we, in Islamic culturalism, we don't disrespect Jesus. It's not allowed to disrespect. As people don't know, if you go to Morocco, in their law, it says you can't disrespect Muhammad or Jesus or Moses by name. In all traditional Islamic books, there are sections about what if someone does disrespect Jesus? And then it's saying you're not allowed to disrespect Jesus right. in, a, in a religious society. So in societies like that, here in, you know, in, in the States, you, there are cartoons that make fun of Jesus, etc. In religious societies, you can't imagine, you can't imagine such things. Right. So this is very important for people to understand. 
And it's a deep topic. We can go into detail. Yeah. But I think right here is good. Yeah. yeah. Really quick, just a brief answer. Yeah. Were there any female prophets? Yeah. So in, in traditional Islamic theology, there is a discussion if there were female prophets. A strong opinion is that there were, such as Mary, mm. uh, the mother of Jesus, for example, and a few others that okay. are mentioned. Yeah. Okay. They hold the view and their argumentation is based upon the Quran. Uh, like Imam Qurtubi, he, he argues. And you look to the Quranic narrative and she has qualities of a prophet and an angelic being, Gabriel, comes and talks to her and, and they go into details about things and all of these things uh, consider that she was a prophetess. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so since we brought up Jesus, I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Jesus and Mary. Yeah. So what... So, so you kind of talked about how, what Muslims do believe as far as Jesus. So why does the Quran talk about Jesus more often than Muhammad, peace be upon him, number one? Mm -hmm. And two, tell us what like an average Muslim thinks about Jesus and Mary. Okay, so average Muslim thinks about Jesus and Mary. Jesus, a mighty messenger of God. Okay. Love, compassion, wisdom, knowledge, an elite representative. Okay. No disrespect allowed towards him. Born from Virgin Mary. And also born from a Virgin Mary. Okay. Okay. With this regard, as a result, this is the Islamic narrative about Jesus. Okay. And this is what Muslims think of Jesus. But at the same time, they don't over, I don't want to say this term, but in layman's term, over hype him to mm -hmm. make him into a God. Okay. This is what we avoid. But we still believe in his miracles. You believe in his miracles. Okay. Right? We believe in his miracles. He cured the blind, the leopard, etc. But the thing is here, did he do it himself or was it a special gift from God? We hold the view that it was a special gift from God. Okay. And this is what uh, a, a brief summary of what Muslims hold in view. Mary, same thing. And do, do Muslims believe that Jesus died on the cross? Okay. So the discussion of Jesus dying on the cross historically and in a, a religious perspective, there's lots of work written by scholars about this from all types of religious backgrounds. Including Muslims? Including Muslims. Okay. So the Quran says, Okay. It holds the view that... What does that mean? Uh, right, right, right. Perfect spot. Islam holds a view that messengers of God are of the elite. Mm -hmm. Okay. And of the elite, there are the elites. Okay. So Prophet... Lot, Lut in Arabic, is a prolific prophet of God. And he is of the elite. But from the elite of the elite are Ulul Azim min al-Rusul, which is known as, for example, Jesus, Moses, Abraham, Muhammad, and Noah. Okay. Okay. They are the elite. Yeah, the elite of the of elite. The elite, of the elite. Yeah, okay. the elite class. Okay. So this Quranic narrative holds this view. In that view, as we have said, uh, these elite of the elite, they don't make the mistakes that some other some people attribute to them, mm -hmm. like major mistakes and stuff like that. Okay, they might at times have a choice between two good things, and they choose one good thing that maybe the second one may have been a little bit better. Okay. Okay, but they're both good. Right, right, right. You see, that's the that's the that's the circumstance they're living in. This is what Islamic theology teaches their perspective about these individuals. So the elite of the elite, as we have said, and the messenger Jesus in this, in this class, the Quranic narrative is, was he crucified? The, the main perspective of Islamic theology teaches that he wasn't crucified to death, okay? But the Almighty doesn't allow a messenger of God such as him to be crucified to death in such a disrespectful fashion. Mm -hmm. okay? And go through that torture. And go through that and torture and these type of things. But we have to ask something here. This is the main point of the crucifixion. The discussion of the crucifixion, though it does narrate the discussion of if Jesus was crucified or not, what's the purpose behind it? The main purpose behind it is the discussion of the original sin and forgiveness. Mm. Okay, that's the main narrative that's behind it. Okay, uh, in the Christian tradition, there's something known in one field of the Christian tradition, there's something known as the original sin, and it is inherited through human beings. Okay, and to abolish an individual from this uh, inherited sin, you would be, for example, baptized or you believe, believe in Jesus' crucifixion, etc. That's the thing, though. Islam says that there isn't a, an original sin for the human beings. Mm. So a human being is not born into life already drowning. Right. The original sin... We're born this, pure. Born pure. This is the, its perspective. The Islamic perspective. Islamic perspective. Okay. And that Adam and this concept of this original sin, we hold the view that the mistake, a mistake was made, but Adam asked for forgiveness and God forgave him. Mm. 
Okay. It, it wasn't inherited to the next generation or anything like that. Because so you're saying Adam's children didn't carry his burden. He didn't carry his burden. That's what the Quran says. Uh, no individual carries the burden of the faults of another person, even if a father or son or a mother to daughter or mother to son, etc. Okay. Everyone is unique in their own way and they meet God in their own way. Okay, so this is the main thing. That's why the crucifixion is is one of the important things. I feel like it's the pivot point it's between the, the three Abrahamic religions. Uh, yeah, in this discussion, it is. It, it, I mean, anytime we've ever discussed, uh, and I don't mean to interrupt you or anything, yeah, yeah, but whenever we've discussed the difference between Christianity and we will be on the same page for majority of our discussion, and then but when we talk about the crucifixion, yeah this is where the fork in the road starts yes. because Judaism, I mean, they, I feel like, and, and, and you're the expert. So tell sure. me if I'm wrong, sure, sure. that they really don't believe in Jesus. I mean, they know that he was, he existed, but they don't believe that he existed as a messenger, that he was just a normal person like everyone else. Yeah, so th there are a number of, perspectives in that tradition about who Jesus was. Okay. And one of them is like what you said. Was, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Judaism, there's multiple perspectives. Multiple and then, you know, you yeah. go to Christianity yeah. and then you find him worshiping Jesus. And then you go to Islam and they find, you find him to be kind of right in the middle. Yeah. You know, Judaism almost doesn't believe in his existence or doesn't believe in his all. Christianity believes in him as a God yeah. or son of God. And then you have Islam where it meets it right in the middle and believes in, yeah. in, uh, but that's, that's kind of where the people, cause every, everything else is almost pretty similar. Yeah. Would you agree? I would say that I think what we need to clarify here is what Christianity is. Mm. Okay. Um, so what we know of what Orthodox Christianity is now is different than the first 300 years of Christianity. Okay. How so one might say. Because really what we know of, um, people know of Orthodox Christianity as a dogma, as a, a code of, of religious ethics was established firmly about 370 years after Jesus in the Council of Nicaea. Oh, okay. okay. So 307 years after Jesus, there was a large council because of the differences of opinion mm -hmm. within the Christian society. Christian society was very diverse. Okay. They shared many things, but there were also diverse opinions about who Jesus was. For example, the Ibuanites was a Christian group who uh, held that God was one and Jesus was different. Mm. Okay. And they're from the early Christian church. Nazarites and a number of other examples. And this is in recorded history. Recorded history. You can open up and study. You can go right now and go study. What was the name again? Ibionites. Ibionites. Yeah, Ibionites, for example. And a number of others, as I have said. There's okay. a number of them. And their perspective of Jesus differed. Okay. You have Arianism. Okay. And um, this is important because the Council of Nicaea, what was happening in the Christian society, 370 years or so after, before that, Christianity wasn't necessarily part of a civilization, a, 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 a kingdom or government. Okay, and that's important to understand because it leads us to another question. Why were wars fought at the time of Prophet Muhammad? Mm. So Jesus didn't, ha he was not a governor of, of an entire society. There were 13 disciples and there were a number of other people that believed, etc. and these type of things. And what happened was during this time, uh, there was oppression and many Christians were killed. It's true. Um, and they were oppressed. It's very similar to what was happening to Muslims early on in Mecca. So who were doing this to the Christians? Uh, you have, for example, the Roman society. Mm. You have other traditions. I don't want to start mentioning here just out of respect for people. Oh, okay. But so just know, some of yeah. the secular governments that were running and existing at that time yeah, that were was, oppressing the Christians. Yeah, that was part of it. Yeah. Okay. It's part of it. Okay. And that's why you have martyrs and these type of things in Christian doctrine. Uh, doctrine. And what is happening to them for the first 370 years or so is very similar to what happened to Muslims early on in the first 23 years of the Prophet Muhammad. Oppression, uh, segregation, uh, we won't say racism, but religious racism. Mm -hmm. And um, people were killed and they were beaten up and many other things like that because of what they believed. And what's interesting as a side note is in the Quran, there's a chapter known as uh, uh, Al-Buruj, and this chapter actually talks about Christian monotheists that went through oppression. Really quick, what does Al-Buruj mean? So yeah, Buruj is kind of talking about the uh, the dimensions of 
the sky when a person looks up to mm. as a sign of uh, that indeed there is an architect behind things oh, okay to think about right as signs you look at because the Quran says there are many signs you can look to and it gives you an idea that indeed there is an engineer or architect behind things so these the, I have come across some stuff uh, like so that myself yeah I, I just know, look at the stars and yeah, I say to myself you know, there has, has to, to be, be yeah exactly there's no way exactly that this happened by chance but exactly it exactly. just it can't exactly for me anyway yeah, you know yeah. and and for a lot of people that share my ideas but thank you for sharing that so in this Quranic narrative there is this chapter in this chapter people don't know this and we say that you know maybe one thing is certain about 99% of all the Muslim population memorized portions of the Quran they can recite it from heart mm -hmm. and this chapter is one of the most famous okay As, uh, the other verses so it actually narr gives a narration about Christian monotheists are you translating what you just said yeah I'm okay. translating the meaning of it yeah. okay. Christian monotheists for which existed and they were segregated and oppressed and marginalized just because they believed in God. Who are these people? And that's the thing. So Islamic theologian, they hold an, a strong argument in historical sense is that they were, they were uh, Christians from the Yemeni region, Yemen oh, okay. region. Or what Najd, today's Yemen. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. this, uh, Najd, a little bit more north, etc. And it's actually shared by certain Christian encyclopedias. They actually talk about events like that. Mm in that area that had happened to Christians. Interesting. Yeah. So the Quranic narrative actually reminds Muslims that this is what happened to Muslim Christians. Okay. Monotheists, yeah. In these areas. So what are we trying to say is that it's important to understand that there's something much deeper that lots of people don't know about. Mm -hmm. When we, and that's why we come back to what we're saying, what is Orthodox Christianity? And that's debatable. Most of the time, when you say Orthodox Christianity, you're talking about the Council of Nicaea, 370 years, etc. after Jesus. And in that council, because there were two councils, one of which was they finally made the New Testament a codification. They said, okay, take out these books, put in this book, and this is it right here, through scholarship, of course, right. out of respect for them. And actually, people don't know this, up until 1600s or so, arguably, there were additional chapters still part of the, the Bible, the New Testament. It was removed. Right? They were taken out. And what we read now, for example, the, the King James Version, there were additional chapters connected to it that were taken out. Uh, we say chapters, but books. Books, yeah, books okay. And narratives, etc. So with that, that's why it's important. What is the Orthodox perspective of who Jesus was? And what happened to Jesus? It really depends on what tradition you follow. Like Ibionites, Christian Ibionites, right. they have a different perspective as to what is now considered Orthodox Christianity. But it seems like nowadays, the majority of Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sin of man. Men, many of which hold that view. Uh, I, I, I've found that to be pretty common yeah. um, amongst the people that I've talked to. I'm yeah. sure that there are people out there that have a whole different view. Yeah. So back to the original question. Yeah. In Islam, you're saying that uh, Jesus, Islam, never did get crucified. A, yes, that is correct. Uh, never got crucified to death. So what happened to him? And that's the thing. Okay, so what happened to According Jesus? According to yeah, yeah. Islamic teachings. Islamic teachings. Yeah. So first, almost agree that uh, the Almighty mm, doesn't hold someone accountable for burdens greater than they can handle. Uh -huh. So as we have said, وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا As one narrative about some prophets, and there's, it's similar to Jesus a.s. What does that mean? So I'll explain to you here. That um, in this context, what happened to Jesus? So the view, like we have narrative, is that Jesus wasn't crucified to death. Uh, and it, it really is the argument behind it is the concept of the original sin. Mm -hmm. We'll put that aside as we have touched on it uh, temporarily here. So what happened to Jesus? That's the question. Did he die a normative death like other human beings? Or was he uh, uh, pulled up into the heavens in this metaphysical f element of the heavens, this angelic realm for which he exists and for which time doesn't affect him mm. and health isn't affected by time? Okay. Interesting. So these are two perspectives. Uh, generally speaking, in this regard, people don't know this, but a very popular opinion among Muslim theologians is that Jesus returns, similar to the argument that is found in, in a number of Christian traditions. Yeah. But when he returns, what is happening? That's, that's the main difference, yeah. So in this view, Jesus returns eventually towards the end of time, 
time meaning uh, the, towards the end of existence of a particular lapse of time. Okay. Yeah. And this lapse of time, in this view, the human race that we know of here on earth is in a, a type of motion, a string motion, and the string is moving and it's slowly being uh, shortened and shortened and shortened until that lapse of time for which is a representation of the change of the realm to a metaphysical realm and angelic realm and paradise and these things. Does that mean that there's no more existence? That doesn't mean that. There could be other things existing. We don't know. Okay, this is the realm that is of the human race. That, that will be for another subject. Another discussion. Another, because uh, there's a science in Islam that I really want to talk to you about sure. um, and an existence of other creations out sure, there and stuff sure. like that. But that's for another episode. The universe episode. is so large. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, as we were saying, yeah. yeah. So this regard. So he eventually comes back. He comes back with the concept of monotheism and uh, in a time in which wrong is happening and in a time in which, believe it or not, atheism, the perspective that there isn't God is very prevalent. Mm. So people don't know this right now. And this is one of the things the Prophet Muhammad talked about. He said, as time lapses, the concept of belief in God starts to reduce, reduce, reduce a little bit more in the society of human beings. We can see that now. You can see it now. So right now, you know, people don't know this, but population-wise, atheism is the fifth largest. Wow. Yeah, in the world. So, um, so quick recap. Yeah. Jesus was raised to the heaven. In this perspective, uh, the discussion, if, if he was died, if he, did he die a, a human death? And then be raised, or was he raised alive? Mm. And this is the discussion. As a as a Muslim myself, a, yeah, yeah. I have always thought or been taught and yeah. thought that it was um, him being raised alive. Yeah. And which that, is common. This is a common opinion. And that yes. the person that so so they have like documented somebody dying on the cross historically. Yes. So kind of give me a brief discussion about who who was that yeah who was if, if who it's was not jesus yeah who was it who was it that's a great question so in this perspective there is a discussion even among non-muslim historians yeah. about who was crucified what is happening was he crucified to death and these things and that's that's what i'm saying because non-christian or like atheists have proof of recordings that there was a person on a cross yeah yeah died yeah yeah and and yeah. islam doesn't believe that it was jesus so yeah. who, who was it yeah so in this regard What's I think important to take into consideration is that a state, state implementation of law uh, throughout history, first crucifixion was something that was used by the Romans. This is well known. Mm -hmm. What is the purpose behind it? A, travious, a travesty, a, a tremendous bad, bad uh, crime was committed, but especially towards the state, okay? mm -hmm. especially towards the state, like uh, um, treason, treason. And this is something that was shared throughout history, mm -hmm. okay, especially towards that, bringing a threat to the state for which they perceived as an actual threat. Somebody who was anti-government. Anti-government and he's acting, living by that and trying to cause harm mm -hmm. or some other thing. So crimes were committed and uh, law was implemented, whether you agree with those laws or not. But the question is, how were laws implemented? Sometimes they were done publicly, sometimes they were done secretly. Mm -hmm. The purpose of a public implementation of a criminal act was to teach a lesson to people. Right. Okay, and this is the point. Were they able to actually grab Jesus and take him to the cross and truly crucify Jesus to death? Or was it a representation of who he was uh, that took his place and was placed on the cross and crucified and be like, all right, this is good enough for us. Here you go. Okay. Or to convince the people to convince the people that they did it, that they did it, for example. Mm -hmm. Or was it someone else who actually committed a crime? but they publicized it as if it was this man who used saying these things. They did it in secret and, and then said, hey, yes, yes, it was Jesus. Yes. And then there's a fourth opinion and historicals are arguing, and it, did, was there actually a crucifixion about a person named Jesus or not? Mm. Okay, but it might be a little bit weaker, this argumentation. So that's kind of so where- So these are all possibilities. Yeah. But we know as Muslims- yeah. He wasn't crucified. Yeah, in the, in the, in the Whatever the situation may, uh, yeah. had, uh, had came out- Crucified to death. Somebody yes. was crucified to death, whether it was crucified or somebody like him, but yeah. we know that it was not Jesus. To death, yes. That's, the, so, that's the traditional perspective. Okay. Yes, that's the traditional perspective. And again, the, the thought argumentation is how could, you know, one of the things that are in, introduced by Islamic theologians is like, how, how can the Almighty allow for such a great, magnificent individual to be disrespected in such a fashion and then crucified in such a fashion when he's of the elite of the elites? And that in this elite of the elite, what would be the purpose behind that? If we don't believe in the, in the in original sin, which actually a number of Christians do not, 
because we have to understand what is a Christian, like Unitarianism, a form of Christianity that believes mm -hmm. God is one and Jesus is separate from God, etc. Um, they are consider themselves Christian, Unitarians, Unitarianistic perspective, but some other Christians might not think they're Christian. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's that's the thing you're discussing. But mm -hmm. again, that Unitarian perspective is actually fairly common throughout Christian history. Well, Dr. Yusuf, uh, thank you for your time thank and you, coming man. on to the show. This is definitely just episode one. Yes, sir. Uh, we're going to have you back on the show, yeah. and we want to continue with these series of questions, and uh, and then we'll dig 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 into what it means to be an American Muslim. Perfect. Um, yes. So, again, thank you for all your knowledge. Yes, thank sir. you for coming to the show. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Um, inshallah, we'll see you next week. As we proceed and conclude, yes. I'll just say one thing. Please do. I want to just shout out to Kravas community and uh, Muslim and non-Muslim community in the United States, etc. I want you to know that Islam is not an enemy of Christianity, nor is it an enemy of Judaism. And actually, these are teachings, what I have just said, by, by Eastern Orthodox Christians themselves from the earliest period of Islamic theology. I can show you the written works that they themselves said Islam is not an enemy. And that's what Islam is trying to teach. We are not enemies. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, That's yeah, beautiful. I like yeah, yeah. And I, I just yeah. want to say this real quick. Yeah, yeah. Prayer, day of judgment, free will, other religions, yeah. hijab, women, the diet, marriage, sharia, terrorism, yeah. jihad, science, yes, nature are all topics that me and you are hopefully going to cover in the future. Yes, God, I, I, I definitely hope that you could come back for many episodes. Yes, We're going to make this a series yes, and talk a lot more about these subjects. I'd love to. Thank you for uh, Once me. again, thank you everybody for tuning in to the One Man Show. I hope that you guys enjoyed everything you listened to. Please join us in next week for another continuing of this episode and more knowledge on what Islam is and all the topics that I just said. Once again, guys, keep believing in yourself and I'll see you next week.